Good morning, church family, and Merry Christmas to you. Let's take our Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, we're looking at verses 22 through 32 this morning. And if you're using one of the Bibles that we provide under the seats, you will find this on page 857. As always, I'll begin in a word of prayer, and then we'll consider the text together. Let's pray. Our Lord, we are so grateful to be in the Christmas season now. We love and adore your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you for sending us your Son. Lord, thank you for the accounts of his, his birth and life. Here in your word, help us now to concentrate our thoughts on this portion of your word. Help us to understand its significance. Lord, help us to shape our lives by the truth that it contains. We give you the glory for the gift of your Son, and we pray all of these things in his name. Amen. So we are in Luke chapter 2 this morning, which gives us an account of the birth and early years of Jesus. And we find ourselves specifically in verses 22 through 32. These verses give us the account of a meeting which took place between the Holy Family and an old man called Simeon. Who was this Simeon, and why does Luke include him in the broader Christmas story? Well, We're going to find our answers in today's text. So let's begin reading in verse 22. Luke writes, And when the time for their purification according to the, and when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they, that is Joseph and Mary, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him, Jesus, to the Lord. Verse 23, as it is written in the law of the Lord, Every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. Verse 24, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Okay, so these opening verses give us the context for the meeting. And we learn in these verses that Joseph and Mary, the parents of Jesus, were a very godly couple. Because they were godly, they followed the law of Moses. And the law of Moses declared that when a woman gives birth to her firstborn son, then she should go through a 40-day quarantine period. Then after the quarantine period, she can go to the temple, offer a sacrifice to God, and then the quarantine is over. And so that's why we find Joseph and Mary uh, heading into the temple on this occasion. Jesus is now 40 days old. And they are going to offer that sacrifice to end the quarantine. Then you'll also notice from the verses that there was a second reason why Mary and Joseph were coming to the temple. It says they were going to present Jesus to the Lord. And this is really interesting. Because the law of Moses does speak of dedicating one's firstborn to the Lord. But it does not require a couple to go to the temple to do this. They could do it from their own home. So I think what's happening here is that Mary and Joseph recognize that this baby Jesus is not just their child, he is also the son of God. And so they're going to go to the house of God, the temple, to dedicate this child. 
while they are there, Mary and Joseph encounter this old man called Simeon. Luke offers us very few details about this man. We don't know really anything about his personal background. But what Luke does offer us is an extended discussion of the character of the man. So let's consider this together. Beginning in verse 25, it says, There was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout. Okay, so there's his character, righteous and devout. Righteous speaking of how he related to other men, devout speaking of how he related to God. Okay, Luke wants us to understand that Simeon was a very godly man, a born-again man. He loved God, he loved people, was rightly related to both. And then we also read in verse 25 that this man was waiting for the consolation of Israel. That means that Simeon was eagerly anticipating the arrival of Christ. You see, Simeon knew that his nation was broken. The glory had departed from Israel many generations earlier. First, his nation had fallen to the Assyrians, then it was the Babylonians, then the uh, Persians, and now Israel was under the thumb of Rome. This nation was just a shadow of what it had once been. But more than that, Simeon also knew his nation was suffering from spiritual rot. At this time in history, the religious life in Israel was dominated by Pharisees and Sadducees, practitioners of a stale workspace religion that did absolutely nothing to cure the ills of the human heart. Most of the residents of Israel had no particular beliefs. So his nation was in deep trouble. But Simeon also knew about God's promise to send a Redeemer. Promises that, in fact, went back all the way to the Garden of Eden. The Scriptures tell us in the book of Genesis that immediately after our first parents, Adam and Eve, rejected God and and plunged themselves and all of us under the curse of sin and death, right after that happened, God was there with a promise. Genesis 3.15 He promised that he was going to send a Messiah into the world who would undo all the damage caused by them and their sin. And that promise of of a Messiah or a Redeemer was reiterated over and over throughout the course of redemptive history. And it was expanded upon in, in some amazing ways. The people of Israel had learned that this Messiah would be born uh, to a family in their nation that he would atone for all of their sins, fix what was wrong with the human heart, that he would restore Israel to its former glory, and that he would even bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Simeon was looking for this. He was a righteous man. And he, he looked all around him, and what he saw was brokenness. And so he was waiting for Israel's consolation, for this promised Messiah to finally come and to start making things right. This is what drove him to get up every single day. You know, Simeon is a model of what all faithful believers should look like. 
here in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, you have a man of God. And he is committed to righteousness and to devotion to God. And his eyes are, are fixed on the promises of God, especially as embodied in Christ. And he is just waiting for God to fulfill those promises. He's a remarkable man. You know, we too find ourselves living in a very crooked generation. But like Simeon, we are called to be righteous and devout, have our eyes fixed on Christ. To live as pessimistic optimists in this world. Pessimistic about the state of things right now. Optimistic because we know the promises of God in Christ and what he will bring about by his own power. Well, now we move on to the end of verse 25 and into verse 26. Here Luke gives us some additional details about Simeon's spiritual life. And these are things which are not experienced by every true believer. Look at the end of verse 25. It says, and the Holy Spirit was upon Simeon. Now, I think what this is talking about here is a special spiritual empowerment that God would sometimes give to people in the days of the Old Covenant. So, for example, in the book of Judges, we're told that the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon, and that's what enabled Gideon to have victory over a great army. And then we're also told the Spirit of the Lord came upon this shepherd boy, David, and then David became the king of all Israel. The Spirit of the Lord came upon Ezekiel, and Ezekiel began to utter prophecies. Uh, in Luke chapter 1, the angel Gabriel says that the Holy Spirit will come upon Mary, and Mary will conceive and bear a son, though she was a virgin. Luke 1 also says the Holy Spirit came upon Elizabeth, and then she began offering prof uh, prophetic blessings to Mary. Spirit of the Lord then came upon Mary, and she uttered her Magnificat, this, this beautiful prophetic song in Luke chapter 1. Spirit of the Lord also came upon Zechariah in Luke chapter 1, and he too offered a prophecy about Christ. And so you see that, that before the arrival of the new covenant, when God's people were still under the old covenant, the Holy Spirit had this special ministry of empowerment where he would take some of his choice servants, give them an extra measure of his spirit, and this would enable them to fulfill specific tasks, whether it was to rule his covenant nation or to utter prophecies in his name. We see it happening throughout the Old Testament and in the early chapters of the New Testament. And this text says that Simeon had the Holy Spirit upon him too. And soon Simeon will begin offering some prophecies of his own. But we continue on with these descriptions of him. It says, the Holy Spirit was upon him. And then verse 26, God the Holy Spirit had even spoken to him. It says, it had been revealed to Simeon by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. I can't even imagine the impact that this must have had on Simeon. I mean, here is a man who is righteous and devout, and he's waiting for the consolation of Israel. And God the Holy Spirit has spoken to him and promised him that he will not die until his hopes are realized. 
He's going to see with his own eyes God's Messiah. Can you imagine the excitement that this man lived with every day? And the anticipation, the the comfort this promise would have brought him, the, the hope that would have filled his soul, maybe some impatience as he waits day after day for the fulfillment of the promise. I mean, it's it's no wonder that we find this man in Jerusalem and constantly wandering about the temple. I see him looking at each family as they're coming in and coming out of the temple precincts. And he's looking at these families and he's wondering, could could this be the baby? Maybe he's praying to God. Lord, is is this the one? I know it's going to come soon. I'm an old man. My time is short. Where is the baby that you've promised? He's living with that excitement. And then verse 24, the day finally comes. The text reads, and he, Simeon, came in the spirit into the temple. So this is a divine appointment here. And when his And when the parents, Mary and Joseph, brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, that is to dedicate him to God, Simeon took him up in his arms and blessed God. So under the guidance of God's Spirit, Simeon walked into the temple precinct at just the right moment. And then the Spirit of God opened Simeon's eyes so that he knew that this was the holy family. And he looked at the little, that little bundle wrapped up in his mother's arms, and he knew that was the Christ child. And Simeon was so excited that this frail old man managed to stumble over to the holy family, scoop up the baby Jesus, and bring him to his chest. And then look at him. Sure, he offered Jesus the biggest smile he'd ever given. And then he looked into the eyes of the Christ child. That baby's eyes looked back at him. And in that moment, Simeon realized he had locked eyes with the eternal Son of God. The consolation of Israel. The Savior of the world. And it was right there in his arms. So excited that he begins blessing God for the experience. Now, friends, why does Luke give us so many details about Simeon's character? Why the description of his excitement as he finally finds Jesus? I mean, why not just cut to the chase and give us Simeon's testimony about Christ? That's the important part, right? Well, the important part is both seeing the character of the man, and hearing his testimony. You see, Luke has written this gospel because he wants to persuade every one of us that Jesus of Nazareth is the Son of God and Savior of the world. He wants us to be persuaded of that so that we will receive Jesus as our Lord. And one of the the ways that Luke goes about this, this task is to give us an array of witnesses. So just over and over and over again, Luke is presenting us with these individuals. Some are old, some are young, some men, some women, some rich, some poor. But he gives us all of these people, and he shows the the witness to us, and then he gives us the witness's testimony. And he says, see, listen to what this person says, and believe them. 
So Luke gives us this extended description of Simeon's godly character so that now we can hear his testimony and we will find him credible. You see, we don't accept the testimony of fools, do we? But a godly man, one like this, who's righteous and devout, who's been longing for the consolation of Israel, someone who, who, when he finally sees Christ, is just exuberant in his joy, that's the kind of a man that we can trust. And so now we move to his testimony Simeon speaks from verses 29 through 35. First, he speaks to God, and then he speaks to Mary. Now, unfortunately, we won't have time to cover all of Simeon's words today. So we're just going to look at what he says to God. And then on Christmas Eve, at our candlelight service, we'll look at the rest. Verse 29, Simeon says to God, Lord Now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. God, I have been waiting my whole life for this moment. It's finally come. I get to see the Christ child with my own eyes. God, I'm ready to die now. You can take me today and I'll die a happy man. That's what he's saying. He says, I can die happy according to your word. You see, for Simeon, Christ's birth was a promise kept. God told him he wouldn't die till he saw the Christ child. God kept his word. But you know, this is more than a promise kept to Simeon. It's a promise kept to all humanity. I already talked about the Garden of Eden, how God made that promise in Genesis 3. I'm going to send a Messiah. He's going to fix everything that you've broken. The the curse on the world, the, the sin nature that now all humans possess. I'm going to take care of it all. Christ is going to fix it. He made that promise to Adam and Eve. He made the promise to Abraham. And he said, it'll be through one of your descendants that I bring this Messiah. He promised it to David, king of Israel, and he said, one day he will sit on your throne, David. He made the promise to Isaiah the prophet, who gave us incredible words about how the Messiah would would fix what is broken. He explained it to Mary and to Joseph through the angel Gabriel. Friends, as as fellow members of the human race, these promises were made to us too. Yes, this world is a dark place. Turn on the evening news and the first five minutes of the program will convince you of that. This world is consumed with hatred and violence, evils of every description. There are natural evils running rampant in the world. Viruses like COVID-19 and horrible things like cancer and heart disease. It's all, it's all part of the curse. Messiah is going to fix it all. Every bit of it. That's what God promised. The arrival of Christ was a promise kept. Simeon all of the Old Testament saints to all of us too. 
See, friends, God fulfills His Word. Deuteronomy 32, verse 4 says, God is the rock. His work is perfect, for all His ways are just. He's a God of truth, and without iniquity, just and upright is He. You notice how Simeon doesn't even have to see Jesus grow up to know how God is going to use him. It's enough for Simeon that he has seen the baby. Okay, promise kept. He's here. Simeon knows that this child is going to grow up into adulthood, that he will resist every sin temptation himself so that he'll be a man of perfect righteousness, one who can be a sacrifice for others. He knows that this is... Um, Son of man and son of God, so that his atonement will be fully sufficient for all. He knows that Christ will say everything he's supposed to say and perform every miracle that he's supposed to perform. He knows that Christ will one day take his seat on the throne of his ancestor David and rule and reign forever. He knows it. He's seen the child. That's enough for him. God keeps his word. So Simeon can die in peace. Friends, no one who banks his life on the promises of God will die in disappointment. You will die just like Simeon, fulfilled, filled with joy. Christ's birth is a promise kept, but then we see in verses 30 through 32, Christ's birth is also a hope realized. Simeon says, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, and here's why. For my eyes have seen your salvation. That's what Christ is. He is the embodiment of all of God's salvation promises. Now, do you guys remember when you were children and your parents promised to take you on a nice vacation? And the vacation was going to be months and months away, but you knew your parents and you trusted their word. So every single day, the anticipation was building You knew the vacation was coming. And finally, plans were complete. The day arrived and off you went in your car, in the plane. Off you went on your vacation. And then that trip turned out to be everything you wanted it to be and more. Did you ever have that experience? Well, that's the kind of hope the righteous people of the Old Testament had about their Messiah. They, they saw the state of the world. They knew that there was no cure coming from a mere man. God was going to have to fix this. And God said he would through a Messiah. And so every single day, like a little kid anticipating a vacation, they were saying, will today be the day? Is it coming now? We know it's getting closer every single day. And then finally, after eons and eons, he came. So Simeon says, I can die in peace because I have seen your salvation. And it's everything that he expected it would be. Simeon got to see the beginning of the fulfillment with his own eyes. But then he adds this, My eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. So this salvation would not just be for Israel, though they desperately needed it. It would also be for all the nations of the world. Simeon elaborates on that in verse 32. He says, this this little baby 
would be a light for revelation to the Gentiles. That's everyone who's not Jewish. The word light here is being used as a metaphor for life, spiritual life, and for truth and holiness and for guidance for all the nations of the earth. Now, how did Simeon know that Christ would be all of this for the Gentile world. He knew it because he knew his scriptures, and the scriptures said that this is what Messiah would do. Listen to Isaiah 9, verse 2 again. We read this earlier in the service. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who have dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. That's talking about the Gentile nations. For generations, they walked in darkness, meaning they had no knowledge of God, certainly no relationship with Him. Their, their lives were, were lived under the dominance of the sin nature. But then it says, a light has come, and a light shines in all the dark nations. Now they all have life and truth, and hope, and guidance. They have all that they need now. And that light is Christ. Do you remember the end of the reading this morning? A child has been born. A son has been given. And he's the light of the world. Or consider Isaiah 42, 6 and 7. Here, God the Father is speaking to God the Son in eternity past. And he says, I am the Lord I have called you, my son, in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison those who sit in darkness. And then Isaiah 49, verse 6, the father says to the son, It is too light a thing that you should be my servant, to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. And so it goes on in our Old Testament, promise after promise after promise, that that the Messiah would be the light of the world. Simeon is drawing on all of this when he speaks to God and he says, I can die in peace now because I've seen your salvation. I have seen the light of the world and it's right here in this baby Jesus. But then he has the second part. And for glory to your people Israel, light for the nations and glory for Israel. Isaiah 60 Lift up your eyes all around and see. They all gather together. They come to you, Israel. The wealth of the nations shall come to you. They shall bring gold and frankincense. They shall bring good news, the praises of the Lord. Foreigners shall build up your walls, and their king shall minister to you. In my wrath I struck you, but in my favor I will have mercy on you. Your gates shall be open continually. Day and night they shall not be shut. That people may bring to you the wealth of the nations with their kings led in procession. Whereas you have been forsaken and hated, 
with no one passing through, I will make you majestic forever, a joy from age to age. That was God's promise to his covenant nation. And it would happen through their Messiah. So Christ entered the world through Israel, and Christ will one day reign over the world from Israel. And that will be Israel's glory. Isaiah looks at this baby Jesus and he sees all of it there in those little baby's eyes. The salvation of God embodied. Light for the nations and glory for Israel. Now look at verse 33. It says, And Jesus' father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. They marveled at these words. And so should we. We should be wonderstruck by the splendor of it all. How God moved the course of history to bring it to just the right moment where Messiah could come in fulfillment of all the prophecies about his first advent, that he should come at just the right time and in just the right place to just the right people to begin his saving work. We should marvel at how God used such ordinary people to fulfill his purposes. Just consider this old man, Simeon, His name never appears before Luke 2. It never appears again after Luke 2. He's just here for a few verses and then he's gone. Consider the other people in the Christmas story. There's Joseph, a carpenter. There's his betrothed, Mary, a young woman still in her teens. These are nobodies in the eyes of the world. Consider the others. Elizabeth, Zechariah, later an old woman named Anna. These are the world's little people. And yet, these were the ones that God chose to be around the Christ child when he came into the world. These are the people at the very nexus of world history from God's perspective. You don't need power or wealth or fame or great influence to change the trajectory of the world. You just need to be a godly man or woman. You need to be committed to righteousness, a worshiper of God, someone whose eyes are fixed on the promises of God in Christ, and someone who is patient, waiting for God to do His work and to use you to do it. In fact, this is the way that God prefers to operate. He doesn't generally work among the world's elites. He works among the ordinary folks. The Apostle Paul tells us why in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. It says, God chooses what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. He chooses what is weak in the world to shame the strong. He chooses what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. You see, God deliberately goes after the little people and he saves them and he calls them to great things. And then in his time, he uses them at the very center of history. He puts them, not the power brokers of the world, but them. 
That's what he was doing with Mary and Joseph and Simeon and Anna and all of the others. We should marvel at the way God moves history on on the shoulders of the world's little people, not usually the big people. Let us thank God for that because most of us are pretty ordinary too. But here we are in a local church, center of God's activity in this world, right at the nexus of what he is doing in this age. Francis Schaeffer used to say, there are no little places and there are no little people in God's eyes. So we should marvel at God's plans here. We should also marvel at the manner in which the Son of God came. Not as a a conquering king, not on his first advent, but instead he came as, as a little baby. In fact, as a, as a single cell in a mother's womb who had to grow and develop and be born and then reach full maturity. No, he had to do this so he could experience the full range of the human experience. In order for us to have a, a sympathetic high priest in heaven, we had to have a, a man who knows what it is to be human from beginning to end. And so Jesus did not come in adulthood. He came as a Tiny little embryo. He was born like we were born. And he grew into maturity, growing in favor with God and men, finally reaching adulthood, experiencing the same temptations that we all face, yet without sin. This is what made him capable of serving as our atoning sacrifice and as our sympathetic priest. So we thank God for the manner of his coming. But then, friends, we should also move beyond gratitude to worship and witness. We should gladly receive the gift of God in Christ. We see through Simeon's words who Christ is. He is salvation embodied. He's the light of the world and glory for his people Israel. He is one who can save you from your sins. He can fix what is broken on the inside of you. You can't do that. None of us can. Years ago, the prophet said, can the leopard change his spots? Well, neither can the human change his own nature. We need God the Son to do this. We need Him to make atonement for us, God the Spirit to regenerate our hearts. We need to receive this gracious gift. Friends, we need to invite others to hear the story too. This is something else we find in Luke's gospel. People who encounter Jesus and then run off to tell people about him. That's the right response when you encounter Jesus. To see him, to know him, to embrace him, and then to spread the news so that others can have him too. So my friends, I conclude with these questions. Are you rejoicing in the truth that Christ took on a body of flesh? Are you as thankful as Simeon was on the day that he held that Christ child the first time? Have you blessed God for this great gift? Have you received God's gift in repentant faith? Are you as anxious for our Lord's second coming as Simeon was to see his first coming? Your answers to these questions will reveal whether you are yet born again. Consider those questions. and Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for Simeon, for the testimony that he offers 
concerning your son. Lord, help us to to understand that your son is our salvation. Might we embrace him too in wholehearted faith, committing ourselves to becoming his disciples. May you help us to be faithful witnesses so that many, many others can receive him, experience the joy of new life in him, and then glorify you in those changed lives. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.